most people think of sleep, it might affect me later. I, I can go a few nights and get over it and I'll just drink some coffee, I'll be fine. The facts are that one night of bad sleep has immediate significant impact. The number one thing I can do to ensure that I have a great day, it's great sleep. Welcome to the Seam Lund Podcast. I'm Hoseem Lund and our guest today is Matt Gallant. Matt is the co-founder of BioOptimizers that's brought many best-selling supplements like Magnesium Breakthrough and Messzymes. In this episode, we're going to discuss all the best strategies and supplements for sleep. If you want to try BioOptimizers' new sleep supplement called Sleep Breakthrough, then head over to sleepbreakthrough.com and use the code SIEM, S-I-I-M, for 10% off. Matt, welcome back to the show. It's great to be here, man. You're a, a world of knowledge and I always learn when I listen to you and actually had a big influence on the, pr the product we're going to be talking about today. So <laughs> nice. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I don't even know that <laughs> or you didn't, mm -hmm. know that. but uh, we'll, we'll hear what it is, but uh, yeah, like uh, we're just gonna today talk a lot about uh, sleep because you are also just pretty much, you know, biohacking expert who does a lot of like these experiments and has like hacked your health and cognition and all those things, sleep included. So we're just, you know, we're going to dive into, the uh, importance of sleep, you know, what's the issue with people's sleep nowadays and yeah, pretty much how to optimize it because yeah, that's, that's what we do. <laughs> yeah, it was a necessity. First of all, I have bad genetics for sleep. Um, I, I didn't know that of course growing up, but when I went over my genes with a nutrigenomic expert, it showed up and it wasn't surprising because my father struggles to fall asleep and has struggled for the majority of his life. Uh, magnesium breakthrough and the new products really helped them significantly, which is awesome. But yeah, it's been a real struggle. Um, and then I just decided that it was the number one thing I could focus on. I made a decision about eight years ago, spent about $45,000 on everything from custom-made mattress to Faraday cages to every PEMF device to tens of thousands of dollars on sleep molecules. So yeah, um, discovered a lot. And of course, I've read a the majority of the sleep literature that's out there and i think uh, we put together something that's really interesting mm. you mentioned like genetics affecting that uh you know obviously there are a lot of genetic factors that uh, can control and affect people's sleep quality but i think you know obviously there's still the vast majority is, is still like epigenetic or like you know just the uh, environment and uh, the lifestyle so maybe we can just start with um you know, why do we sleep or why is like this general trend that people say they don't sleep that well uh, nowadays? Yeah. First of all, most people just don't have optimized sleep environments. You mentioned something that's really critical, which is that if you look at your genes and you have a genetic variant that might cause issues, that's not a death sentence. What that means though, is that you should spend more time, more energy focusing on making sure that you're really taking care of that thing. And sleep was a great example for me because, again, I was able to go from zero to 15 minutes of deep sleep to you know 90 minutes plus and two, two to three hours of REM each night. So, yeah, let's just talk about a couple of scary stats. Most people think of sleep like it might affect me later. I, I can go a few nights and, you know, get over it and I'll just drink some coffee. I'll be fine. The facts are that one night of bad sleep has immediate significant impact. Just a, one of my favorite stats is when the clock changes in the spring and in the fall, there's a massive shift in heart attacks, about a 45% Delta. So when we lose an hour of sleep, there's a 24% rise the next day. And when people gain an hour of sleep in the fall, the heart attack rate goes down 21%. So that's a 45% difference between losing an hour and gaining an hour. And then when you looked at genetic expressions, you talked about epigenetics. One bad night of sleep will turn on genes related to cancer, to tumors, all kinds of really negative things. So of course, it has a really bad impact short-term, and it has, of course, a significant impact long-term. I mean, long-term, the data is if you if you don't sleep enough or if you sleep too much, you're going to die earlier, you're going to die younger. So it's a really significant thing. And I think in terms of quality of life, like when I think about what's the, the number one thing I can do to ensure that I have a great day, it's great sleep. You know, really your day starts 
while you're sleeping, in my opinion. Um, and, and just to quickly kind of go over the how the sleep works. So you, you go to bed and you need to slow down your brain waves and then you'll hit theta, which is your hypnagogic state. You start to dream a little bit. And a lot of people struggle with that. We'll, we'll circle back to that later because a lot of people have hyperactive beta brainwave activity, which really prevents them from falling asleep. And in fact, insomniacs have a hyperactive beta brainwave uh, activity, which really compromises their sleep. And then people will typically, if they do things correctly, and by the way, everything you've been teaching, all your listeners are, are all foundational keys. Because you know you want to get that prolactin cycle, that hormonal cycle where all the body's repairs are occurring, typically in the first couple of hours of sleep, you know, two two and a half hours, and again we can talk about things that would destroy that. So that the deep sleep is really where your body rejuvenates itself, and then the REM is where there's a lot of memory consolidation, emotional processing, neurotransmitter formation. So it's really for the brain. And of course, if you're not getting enough of either of those, you're going to be compromised. Yeah, definitely. Like the physical repairs, like the deep sleep, and that's going to affect things like, you know, muscle muscle growth and fat loss and uh, insulin sensitivity. And I've actually, uh, to circle back, like the consequences is that the, even like the yeah, one single night of bad sleep is going to make you like semi-insulin resistant almost. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, you're mm-hmm. going to have like a very worse time and metabolizing blood sugar and uh and at the same time you're also like hungrier you're hungrier for this uh, uh junk food and uh, comfort foods and people tend to eat like a few hundred extra calories every or like you know after a bad night's sleep so it's uh many many aspects are like or in directly affects your body but indirect as well like the psychological and uh, behavioral changes that occur yeah you hit a key point there which is you know the ghrelin goes up and then when they, they did a study with two groups, one group slept eight and a half hours, the other group slept five and a half hours. They were both on the same calorie deficit. The group that was sleeping five and a half hours was losing 50% of the weight as a lean muscle mass. So essentially, their their diet, they would have been better off almost not dieting at that point. Mm. So whether you're dieting, whether you're trying to build muscle mass, if you're an athlete, it's critical. I mean, a lot of the top athletes sleep 10, I mean, I heard even 12 hours. Um, When I used to work with pro athletes, um, the guy that I trained hand-to-hand combat with, his formula was eight hours plus one hour for every hour that you train. So if an an athlete's training three, four hours a day, which some do, they need like 11, 12 hours. doesn't need to be all in one shot. A lot of them nap, but- it's just so critical for high performance. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I, I, I'm not sure about the statistic or the ac- accuracy of this uh, statement, but I've you know since the invention of the light bulb, or <laughs> like the, we have seen like the average hour of uh, time spent sleeping has decreased by like a few hours or something. Like right now, the average is like maybe six and a half or something. I'm not exactly sure, but uh, yeah, like before the light bulb was in- invented, then the you know the average sleep was maybe like you know eight and nine hours because you know when it was dark people didn't have the opportunity to stay awake pretty much or there was nothing else to do uh, and uh, they would just you know naturally sleep that much longer so i'm m- maybe jumping a bit too ahead but yeah like this is kind of the environment that we're living the technological environment the light environment the like psychological landscape of social media and uh, whatever like work and relationships and all those things interconnectedness of the world that has just pretty much kept people uh, in a state where they're not getting uh, that good sleep. That's kind of probably like the root cause, the modern world of why we're not getting uh, that much uh, sleep anymore. Yeah, that's a great. This is a great segue. Let's talk about light because there's a few key points with light. And but I love the. I've seen a lot of your circadian rhythm diagrams. They're they're great because it all comes back to that. So first of all, credit to Dr. Andrew Huberman for really. Uh, popularizing the concept and the criticalness of waking up and getting sunlight into your eyes within 30 minutes upon awakening. What that does, it really helps kickstart a clock that will make your brain tired or more tired 14 to 16 hours later. So that's a an incredibly important thing. And by the way, pro tip, if you're traveling 
and you want to get rid of jet lag, I mean, it's critical that you do that. Of course, we can talk about a little bit about melatonin and how and when to use it because I think a lot of people are using it very incorrectly. But that's the first piece of light. And what you just mentioned was probably one of the, I'm a natural night owl and you know, they call them wolves if you read The Power of When. I do believe in chronotypes. From an evolutionary biology perspective, it makes sense that in a tribe, you'd have people that would easily stay up at night to protect you know, the people and some people would wake up earlier. You need different chronotypes, I think, from a survival perspective. But light is the main issue. And you know, before I learned that, I was just, I didn't want to go to bed. I, I could easily stay up till 2, 3, 4 a.m., and then, you know, my sleep, my, my whole schedule was was wrecked. So really managing light, like 60 to 90 minutes before your target bedtime is really critical. And that's another key concept is have a target bedtime. And consistency is huge. You know, I would say that consistency, having a target bedtime and, you know, managing light about, you know, ideally 90 minutes before bed is, are some of the most important concepts that anybody can do. It's all free things. So how can you manage light? Well, there's a few things people can do. One of them is just dim all the lights in your house, right? I mean, you know, and you don't need to go pitch black yet. Dimming is good enough. Some people like red light bulbs. That works. I've heard you, people use salt lamps with a dimmer. So they're still getting a little bit of light, but it's just really almost ambient light. Um, and that's kind of what I pivoted to. And some people like blue light blocking glasses. So there's a lot of options to manage light. But here's the here's the punchline. What happens is you will not, first of all, your brain's not going to get tired if you're getting stimulated by light. But it will destroy melatonin. It's almost real-time destruction. And that's a pro tip for anybody taking melatonin. If you take melatonin and you're still, you know, you're brushing your teeth, you're literally destroying that melatonin by the time you're going to bed. So right. it's really important that if you're going to take melatonin, you are in bed. It's absolutely pitch black. You take it and then you, you'll get the effect. And melatonin is not a great sleep supplement. It's really good at helping people fall asleep. So for people that might struggle with that, it's great. But the problem is it doesn't really improve deep or REM. And the big problem with melatonin is people are really overdosing, you know, the brain produces 10 to 80 micrograms naturally. And there's a lot of people that have a genetic variant, myself included. I've heard Tim Ferriss and uh, Huberman talk about this as well, that will wake up two or three hours earlier than normal when they use melatonin. I never could rely on melatonin. Like if I take even 0.5 milligrams, I would wake up after five or six hours. But when I started playing around with what it's going to sound like a microdose, but in my opinion, it's the optimal dose, like 50 micrograms. It was transformational. Like I was not getting that, that con that wake up earlier side effect. And I think that it's a really powerful strategy to play around with. Like at 40 to 80 micrograms is what we're seeing. And that's working for almost everyone. And we got another product coming out. That's going to be a spray. It's like 18 micrograms per spray. Right. And it works incredibly well. Um, and it just makes sense. And and what the problem is when you start mega dosing, again, to me, 0.5 milligrams is a mega dose. Uh, your body just starts down regulating like it does with any hormone that you're overloading in the body. Right. Yeah, I do agree that uh, too large doses are probably not needed. And uh, you can just, you know, wake up groggy. And if you like have too high levels of melatonin, then that can, yeah cause like mood issues and uh, low mood <laughs> essentially but I, I actually like in the studies they they have even taken like I think 50 milligrams it and, and it hasn't affected the endogenous uh, production of melatonin so I don't think that there is like this negative feedback loop like with testosterone or something like that but um, I think there's maybe like yeah like psychological reliance for sure that can happen like that they that they think that they need to take the melatonin to fall asleep but uh, yeah your body will still produce it probably Hmm. It's interesting. I've talked to some people that were up to 10 milligrams and then they stopped. They told me it took them about six to eight weeks to be able to sleep normally. So, um, yeah, I didn't know, but there was no feedback loop like that, but it's, it's interesting, but it's, it does seem like people need to increase the dose 
um, when they start kind of getting from one milligram to three to five to 10, it, it seems to be a pretty common pattern, but I'm not noticing any adaptation, certainly when in the, you know, 50, 40 to 80 microgram zone, like I think that it's, it's a really sweet spot in terms of effectiveness. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Like less is a bit more <laughs> with that, especially if you're taking like maybe every night, then uh, for sure, like, you know, very small amounts are probably a bit better. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree with the fact that, uh, you definitely want to make sure that you're in a, like, uh, blue light blocked environment, like whether using the blue blocking glasses or, uh, yeah, like it's just having the lights dimmed down because it's, yeah, like very counterproductive to, uh, you know, have the blue light <laughs> degrade to the melatonin in real time, especially if you take like a fast, f fast acting melatonin, then it's going to degrade it very fast. Um, but uh, maybe if it's like a slow release. Maybe maybe then a bit later, but uh, still, it's it's the same as like you know, going to going to the bathroom at night and then turning on the lights. <laughs> That's kind of the same uh, effect. Yeah, good strategy for that. That I've you know some people use is you know, these uh, motion sensor lights with a red light bulb. So again, because yeah, if if you have a bright light that's going to blast your eyes when you're going to the restroom, uh, bathroom, you're, you're going to is going to disrupt your sleep for sure. Yeah. I, I think in general, the best strategy is always to focus first on, you know, how can I optimize my own internal production of a hormone, whether it's testosterone or in this case, melatonin. And that's how we, we formulated sleep breakthroughs. So, mm. you know, how do you do that? Well, first of all, you feed the body, the precursors, which is really the building blocks, kind of the, the, raw material that the body needs and then all the cofactors which will help transform that building block into the target molecule now serotonin is a precursor to melatonin so anything that increases serotonin before bed is a good idea and we can talk about some couple of tactical things people can do but magnesium is a phenomenal uh, precursor which of course we've been selling magnesium breakthrough now for several years and you know, we've gotten thousands and thousands of testimonials of people getting better sleep. Um, as far as clinical research, magnesium bisglycinate probably has the best data on sleep. Mm. So that's why we went with that. Um, P5P, which is a bioactive form of vitamin B6, is is a great cofactor for, for magnesium. So that was the first piece. But as we as I got into the literature, and again, I co-formulated this with uh, Mark Effinger, Mr. Newts, who's an absolute genius in this world. You know, we talked about a lot about minerals and we talked about potassium. And I, of course, I knew about potassium from a hydration perspective. And just a side note, I think most people are severely deficient in potassium. You know, they're getting way, they're getting certainly enough sodium from their diets, but in general, they're just not getting enough potassium. And potassium quiets down neurons. Sodium excites them. And that's something I, I found as I was getting into the literature with potassium and sleep they were doing these experiments with odd mutant flies and that's what they found. So you, we can turn that into a tactical strategy, which is in the morning, you know, something I've done for a long, long time, but I didn't know the uh, impact on the brain is put, you know, maybe a quarter teaspoon or half a teaspoon of Himalayan salt with, you know, a liter or two of water and drink that throughout the day. And then at night, it's a really good idea to, to use some potassium zinc, is also really good for the nervous system. Anything that you know will move your nervous system to the parasympathetic side before bed is a great idea. And zinc, magnesium, of course, are really good for that. And then calcium citrate, calcium in general increases REM and also is really effective for calming the nervous system. So th those are kind of the four key minerals that I think people need uh, for sleep. And let me get to the one that you had a big influence on. And I think um, to me, you're the, you're, in my mind, you're the glycine god. I was playing around with glycine a few years ago for sleep. And I was finding that it, it was promising. And then I was listening to you talk about glycine. And, you know, then I got into the literature and then I started looking at glycine in sleep specifically. And it was just amazing. So we started playing with that and we have a three gram dose in there. And I know you recommend uh, about 10 to 20 grams a day, which I agree with. Um, but for sleep, what it does, which is really fascinating is a few things. One is it'll help lower body temp. 
So it'll actually help push blood to the extremities, which is a really good thing. We can circle back around and talk about temperature because I think temperature is as critical as light for good sleep. The second thing it does, and this is probably my favorite feature of it, and I think in general, this is an incredible uh, benefit of taking glycine, is if you don't get enough sleep, like let's say you need eight hours, but for some reason you got six, the literature says you will feel a lot better the next day. And that's something that I noticed where, you know, if I only got six hours, I almost felt like I got a full night's sleep when I got, when I was using glycine. So glycine is just an incredible amino acid. And again, I want to give you credit for really uh, communicating that to, to the world. Cause I think, you know, uh, we're, we're using it more and more and it's just phenomenal. So I'll, I'll, I'd love to have you talk a little bit about glycine for people that haven't heard uh, why it's so important for other things as well. Mm. Yeah. Well, I suspected that it's going to be glycine, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, glycine has many powerful effects on uh, sleep, like yeah, the body temperature, lowest blood sugar, and uh, it actually acts like a, like a GABA energetic neurotransmitter as well. So it helps to like calm down nervous system and uh, calm down, calms down the brain activity. So you are yeah, more mellow and uh, kind of, calm and relaxed and interestingly like they actually you know <laughs> this is a bit like off topic but uh, it they used like a glycine to treat the uh the symptoms of schizophrenia and stuff like that because of the GABA effect so that's like yeah like very they use glycine for many things like alcohol addiction and uh schizophrenia and in studies and it helps to like reduce the symptoms and side effects of that so like addictive behavior or like this more compulsive uh, behavior can be uh, controlled or like you know regulated with glycines because it helps with uh, GABA and makes your like brain more like relaxed and uh, calm. <laughs> yeah, it's a good segue to the next uh, key molecule that we focus on, which is GABA. Um, GABA is we call it the molecule of chill. It's really an incredible molecule for sleep in general. We did you know we did fifty five prototype for sleep breakthrough, and I think the one. The one aspect we spent the most time and the most variations on was the different GABA sources. So, of course, we started with traditional classic GABA. We played around with valerian root. I mean, there's there's a lot of different options when it comes to targeting GABA. What we found was a lot of them had a too long of a half-life and it was lingering. And when we'd wake up the next day, we felt a little groggy. So we wanted something that was impactful but the half-life wasn't that long. We settled on pharma GABA, which I think as far as just effectiveness, and if you look at the data on it, it's, it's really phenomenal. Uh, it's from by Mitsubishi. So it's a really powerful molecule. And yeah, it makes a big difference. Um, when you look at people that are insomniacs, so there's, there's two key aspects when you look at the data. One is they're GABA deficient and they tend to have hyperactive beta brainwave activity. We can circle back to that because that's a really big, big one. So yeah, GABA can make a huge, huge impact for people that uh, just struggle to chill, struggle to to relax, and have hyperactive uh, yeah. beta brainwave activity. So what what do you, like some people on social media as well? Like they say that you shouldn't use GABA or that it's kind of. Uh, not good or like have you seen like any side effects uh, to GABA or anything like that so what we're seeing is about seems and I was talking to Dr. Dan Engel who's a absolute phenomenal genius in the world of plant medicine and some other things last week we were talking about GABA and he told me and it corresponds with what we're seeing is about 10 percent of people that have a genetic variant where GABA is actually a stimulant for them it will it will actually stimulate them and they'll actually be more almost energized it's like a paradoxical response and we we you know with almost everything like even magnesium um it's a lower percentage but i've heard you know some friends of mine say i can't use magnesium breakthrough before bed because i get energized mm. so it seems about 10 percent of people that have that response with gaba in general but other than that um yeah there's no issue and there's no adaptation either. Like, you know, you can typically use GABA um, on a pretty regular basis. What what we've done as well is we've made it a drink so people can adjust the dose 
to their, to their brains, their bodies. Um, some people, four grams of sleep breakthrough does the trick. Uh, the full dose is eight grams, like two little scoops. And some people are using like three scoops. So, you know, that's a really important aspect of that product design is we wanted to build it in a way where people can dose based on what they need and not too much or not too little. Mm, gotcha. And yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And uh, like, is that something that they can take every night or is there like any uh, adaptation or anything like that? No, I've been using it every night for almost a year. Um, I'd say I've used it like 98, 99% of nights. Um, couple of nights. I just forgot it. I didn't have it. I ran out, but no, it's, it's just been effective um, consistently throughout. So typically you take it about an hour before bed. It'll hit you about 30 minutes after you drink it. Again, you just mix it with about four ounces of water and drink it. It's got a really uh, interesting, tasty flavor. Uh, we use blue spirulina, some organic berries and some natural sweeteners like stevia. And uh, that's it. So it's a really clean, there's no chemicals, there's no artificial flavoring. Mm. And yeah, it's this beautiful blue color. Um, one more aspect of GABA, and this relates to what we've been talking about with hyperactive beta brainwaves, is it will increase alpha brainwaves. And there's another molecule that does a great job of that, which is L-theanine. L-theanine has probably been my number one sleep molecule for the last six, seven, eight years. I've probably used it like 99% of nights, um, 200 milligrams has been my dose. And, you know, what I love about L-theanine, it's similar to glycine where it promotes relaxation without creating drowsiness. So you can basically relax your brain, relax your nervous system, but not be drowsy. So again, a lot of people like to use it with caffeine. That's why some people prefer green tea over coffee. And yeah, it's just phenomenal amino acid that you know, just works every time. I mean, there's no adaptation to amino acids. So I've, I've loved using L-theanine for every sleep stack I've ever built. And it's also increases alpha brainwaves. So what happens on the brain, and again, I spent about eight weeks of my life doing neurofeedback. When you increase alpha brainwaves, that electricity needs to come from somewhere else. So typically your, your beta brainwaves will lower, they'll decrease as a result. And that can help people that have those, you know, hamster wheel, monkey brain, whatever you want to call it, just that hyperactive uh, beta brainwave activity going on. I would recommend that if some people really have, and, and I've seen incredible transformations. And again, I'm, I'm not a neurofeedback expert. I'm just a neurofeedback practitioner or a participant, but neurofeedback can really, really help people that have hyperactive beta brainwave activity. So that's a really good modality to look at for people that are not um, able to just quiet their brains and go to bed. Mm, right. Yeah. The L-theanine is very useful to take even during daytime. So if you're mm -hmm. like, like if you're like many people will uh, combine it with uh, coffee so that they take, take the L-theanine it's going to like smooth out some of the caffeine response and it causes less of a spike for some sensitive people. And uh, yeah, it's good for like nootropic effects as well, for sure. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I think, um, you know, really what, we, what we're talking about is managing your nervous system. And I think that's one of the most important skills or things to learn when we want to be optimized. And, you know, most people, they just wake up, they just get hyper-stimulated all day, and then they're exhausted and they pass out and they rinse and repeat. Um, you know, if you, if you learn how to manage your nervous system throughout the day, you're able to, you know, I think the quality of life, your enjoyment of life transforms. There's a great book called uh, The Power of Full Engagement. And that book was transformational for me as an entrepreneur because before... I was all about time management. And then that book taught me, it's really about energy management. So how do we manage energy though is the, is the real question. And the, the strategy, and I mean, they didn't really talk about nervous system in the book, but that's what they're doing is you're taking micro breaks throughout the day, you know, spending time in nature, so, you know, playing with your kids, you're with your pets, with hanging out with your, your partners, um, just doing things that are parasympathetic throughout the day instead of just being in fight, flight, freeze from morning to, to night is transformational. 
And I think that's where also molecules like magnesium, L-theanine, GABA are also really powerful to help shift our nervous systems over. Cause I, I've been in those modes where I'm working 80 plus hours a week and I'm just almost trapped in a sympathetic state and would constantly burn out every few months. And I have not burnt out in a very, very long time, uh, even though my workload is, is significant. So I think managing your nervous system is, is such a key thing for health and for quality of life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also one of the biggest things that's going to like uh, disrupt your sleep or prevent you from uh, getting the deep sleep and uh, the good quality sleep for sure. So the, if you can take like some, uh, like anything that can help you to shift into that state, then uh, yeah. And there's also like, you know, obviously uh, less pharmaceutical ways or like non-supplemental ways uh, to do that. Like some people do it with cold plunging. Some people do breath work or meditation or saunas or exercise. Um, so there's many ways to it, but sometimes, yeah, it's, also very convenient to uh, take certain compounds that do it for you as well more easily. Yeah, that's a good segue into temperature. Uh, I'll, let me start by saying that I've had the best deep sleep scores I've ever had after taking an ice bath before bed. Um, I've also used other cold modalities like a cryo helmet and some other things. And it's almost always had a really positive impact on my sleep. If you look at the literature, um, people that take hot baths also get better sleep. And I think it's a different mechanism. I think that the hot bath is shifting people's nervous system, right? It's relaxing their, their nervous system again, kind of what we just talked about. Whereas the cold, I think, is, you know, helping to kind of trigger the entire sleep response and, you know, cooling down your body is critical. So in terms of your temperature of your room, uh, it should, again, it should be a cave, 16 to 18 degrees Celsius, 65 to 70 Fahrenheit. But that wasn't enough for me. Uh, I remember hearing Tim Ferriss talk about the chili pad, and I bought that. And that's been one of the best investments I've ever made. Uh, the chili pad, I got the, the new version, is phenomenal. Uh, my wife loves it as well. You know, because the problem was, you know, it was really cold in my room, but I was sweating underneath the sheets. And the chili pad, I think there's also the sleep aid. I've, I've never purchased that, but I know some people like it. Any of these devices allow you to keep your body cold or cool while you're sleeping, which is critical. If you're not doing that, it's going to be very difficult to get deep sleep. And you'll tend to wake up a lot more. You'll tend to toss and turn a lot more. And when you toss and turn, it is basically preventing you or pulling you out of your deeper sleep stages. So really you want to try to minimize tossing and turning and you know the mattress is a big deal, but the temperature is a big deal. So temperature is a really key thing. And I like chilling my room like a couple of hours before. So when I just walk in and, and go underneath the sheets, it just feels like, ah, it's a nice chill yeah. uh, environment. So uh, it's critical. Yeah. And uh, you know, there's many studies also showing the uh, high, high temperatures and hot temperatures, uh, is one of the primary causes of like insomnia and primary like contributors to uh, insufficient sleep, especially in the summer. So like people report more insufficient sleep in the summer months because yeah, obviously it's harder. And personally as well, like I don't, I don't remember like not being able to sleep in the winter because it's, you know, dark and it's cold, colder. Uh, whereas in the summer it's, you know, bright or like it's uh, more, more light and in the night as well. And, uh, the like the temperature is somewhat sometimes we in Estonia we do get like at least like a few weeks of like super hot where it's like yeah you're sweating <laughs> between the sheets but uh yeah nowadays I'm using yeah like I used I used the, the chili pad for many years but now I'm using the eight sleep eight sleep is uh yeah it's like a very similar concept but I don't know this is that the eight sleep is like much uh it's much faster in terms of cooling down like I, I put it in and it instantly like within like one second you can feel it already the cold coming into the uh into the mattress so that's what i've been using uh, right now nice. and uh one, the, one of the reasons why obviously yeah, like it helps to cool down and uh, lower body temperature but the uh the lowering of the temperature is also is a circadian signal to uh, start producing melatonin so like you know naturally in the night the temperatures would be lower and your body would start to produce melatonin because it you know it's uh, repair time and sleep time but uh, yeah, like if it's too hot, then your body isn't doesn't get the signal that it's uh, that it's uh, like the evening and the night. 
Yeah, again, I think that's why the, the cold bats, like literally right before bed, are are been so impactful. And I've talked to other people that tracked her sleep, and they reported the same thing. Yeah. So the other one too is related to tossing and turning, which is pressure points. So, again, when I got obsessed with sleep, I started, you know, just looking at all the literature around you know, what disrupts sleeps. And we talked about, of course, light and temperature, but the other one is pressure points. What happens is let's say you're a side sleeper and you're on your shoulder and you've got shoulders like you do, which, you know, you're going to develop if you're weightlifting. Um, what happens is the blood will get trapped in your shoulder between obviously the, where the pressure is on the mattress and your body's going to toss and turn. Same thing for women that have wide hips. Basically, any part of the body is getting more pressure. The blood will get trapped and you're going to toss and turn. Of course, that's happening unconsciously and it's pulling you out of deep sleep. Best position for sleep is back sleepers. They have a massive advantage for two reasons. One, it helps adjust their spines naturally. You know, so it's kind of a natural spinal adjustment. And the second reason is there's more even spread out of the pressure because they have more space that they're, you know, sleeping over. So side sleepers, in my opinion, need a memory foam mattress. Now the issue with memory foam mattresses is, is off gassing. A lot of them are using all kinds of uh, petroleum and oils. So when I looked at all the research on different types of memory foam mattresses, I settled on Essentia, which is a Canadian company. Um, phenomenal mattress. Uh, it's been one of the best investments I've ever made. And I have a, they, they can do a custom made one where they'll adjust the, the density based on your body. So my wife's size is very different than mine. And it's, it's been uh, amazing. Of course, there's all kinds of mattress companies out there, but the punchline is the heavier you are or the shorter you are, you need a softer mattress. If you're taller or way less then you need a denser uh, mattress because you know the, the more you weigh the more pressure is going to be you want to try to spread that out evenly between your head down to your toes and again people that are taller have more square inches or square centimeters to spread the the, the pressure so those are the the main keys to selecting a mattress hmm, interesting any any brands that uh or like a few of them that you have come across that are good or yes again i'm a huge fan of essentia it's a basically like essential without an l um and they have different densities so again the the custom made one i use is, is about ten thousand dollars it's it's not inexpensive but um most of their mattresses are around four or five thousand usd i was actually at a conference last week and there's a guy that tests matches professionally he's got a blog and writes about testing mattresses he was raving about some purple hybrid. So again, I haven't tried it, but uh, Essentia is definitely my my option and my selection that I recommend. And I bought one for my parents um, a few Christmases ago and and it's been transformational for them as well. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, what about the pillows? Like that, that's also probably like quite important then. <clears throat> yeah. So as far as the pillow, what you want is you want your neck you want a straight line from your neck to your back to your pelvis. You want to try to make sure your spine is as straight as possible. So if you're using, if you're a side sleeper or a back sleeper and you're, if you're a side sleeper on a, on a memory foam and you're sinking in, you want a really thin pillow. So my pillow is actually also from Essentia. I tried a bunch, but it's very thin, but here's a pro tip um, that I learned the hard way. So if you're a side sleeper, your, your shoulders will naturally slouch over. I mean, just, you know, without, it's just going to happen naturally. So I, I have a huge feather pillow that I hug that will prevent my shoulder from slouching too much. So that's more of, you know, again, just for my arms, but for my head, it's a very thin pillow. And basically the angle of my head down to my, my pelvis is just a straight line. So mm -hmm. that's really the, the critical thing. I think some people, and again, I, I've, I've had neck issues in the past because my pillows were tilting my head too much. So I think some people are just, their, their pillows are too thick and it can cause issues. So uh, I recommend in general, a thinner pillow, but pillows I think are really personal. So you want to find something that works. Um, let's talk about something else that's really critical. That's free that everybody can do. 
and goes back to an old saying that I used to hear and I doubted, but now I know it's true, which is every hour of sleep before midnight is worth two. Hmm. So why is that true? Well, the reason is, again, our bodies are, the sleep circadian rhythms are similar to our food rhythms. So what happens with food, for an example, is that usually an hour before there's a ghrelin spike. Ghrelin is a hormone that causes hunger that makes us want to eat. Now, let's say your target bedtime is midnight. If you're consistent with it, which is another really key point here with this, uh, this next tip, is around 11, 11, 15, you will start feeling tired. You'll start yawning. And, and naturally, your body is basically telling you, hey, it's time to get ready for, for bed. Now, you can power through that. Let's say, again, let's say you do none of the stuff we talked about. The lights are on. It's a hot environment. You can power through. And what happens is maybe 15, 30, 45 minutes past your target bedtime, you're going to get a cortisol response. That cortisol response is going to energize you. And I think, again, it's an evolutionary biology response that is really important to protect the tribe. If somebody's attacking you and you need to stay up, then you, may, you need to make sure you're getting cortisol uh, to, to defend the tribe. The problem is, though, that is an absolute destruction of deep sleep. Mm. Your deep sleep will be wiped out if you get that cortisol response and it shows up anytime that uh, that happens. And sometimes it happens. Because, you know, you want to stay up, you're celebrating something, you're watching a UFC, wh whatever it is that you're doing that caused you to stay past your target bedtime, um, it, it will negatively impact your sleep that night for sure. Um, so I would say having a target bedtime, being consistent, preparing, again, a, an hour before taking sleep breakthrough or magnesium breakthrough, whatever your, your sleep stack is, uh, an hour before bed, and then making sure that you know, you're managing light and you're in bed are all critical. So your consistency is huge when it comes to really programming that circadian clock and, and making sure that you're, you're getting great sleep. Yeah, yeah, I agree totally that uh, the first half of the night is probably more important than the second half because, yeah, like all the, you know, growth hormone releases, uh, Pretty much a few hours, like an hour after you fall asleep, and uh, the melatonin is the highest at that time, and uh, yeah, like all the like repair processes happen in the first half of the night, and from a circadian rhythm timing, then yeah, they kind of start around like eleven p.m. or ten thirty or somewhere around there, and uh, yeah, until midnight, and something peak off after that. So it's yeah, like you, the first half of the night is where you actually get the biggest bang for your buck in terms of sleep quality and the, like the health benefits of the sleep. And uh, yeah, like going to bed at the same time pretty much creates this rhythm. Uh, so it's like arguably, or I definitely agree that you know it's more important to go to bed at the same time than it is to wake up at the same time. Like, you know, you can wake up a few 30 minutes here and there, but uh, going to bed at the same time is probably like the most important for the like habitual aspect so that you habitually start to associate that time with the uh, sleep, which will also make it easier for you to like fall asleep and stay asleep, but also like from the, all the hormonal and all the like other circadian aspect is also linked to that uh, consistency. Let's talk about another sleep destroyer, which is food. If you eat a big meal, certainly within two hours of your sleep, it's going to destroy your deep sleep. I've never seen any case where that's not happening. Uh, with myself, with clients, like across the board, it seems to be a universal truth. So let's talk about optimal meal timing and what could you eat before bed? So optimal meal timing... I would say minimum is three hours, but a lot of people I've talked to report getting better sleep if their last meal is four, sometimes even five hours before bed. Now, one thing that we've seen and heard, I mean, we've been selling Masszymes since 2005, which is um, the strongest proteolytic enzyme blend on the market. We've heard you know, thousands of times from clients with that product and as well as our P3OM, which is also proteolytic, that people used it, and Wade and I have tried this many times, before bed and gotten better sleep. And we didn't know why. It didn't make sense. There's no sleep molecules in Masszymes or P3OM. But then 
as we understood the impact of food, it made sense that it's clearing out food. It's helping, you know, break down and digest the food that could be in your digestive tract and help uh, improve sleep that way. So yes, food is a, a huge, huge thing to be aware of. Now, two things that are okay. I think one, amino acids. Amino acids tend to be absorbed within 30 minutes. So glycine, again, L-theanine, those are examples of amino acids. They don't seem to be problematic at all. And the other one goes back to serotonin, which is carbohydrates. So a lot of people, um, I know Tim Ferriss talked a lot about it, heard other people talk about, you know, a teaspoon of honey before bed improves their sleep. Well, the mechanism there is that carbohydrates, especially uh, highly refined carbohydrates, increases serotonin. And as we mentioned earlier, that's a precursor to melatonin. And in my own experimentation, especially if I'm doing like a three to five day fast, what happens when I do a longer fast is typically by day three, I'm sleeping less and less. Like I think my body's like, you know, you need to wake up to go find food. This is essentially what's happening. And I started the last time I did a five day fast, I experimented with consuming about 10 grams of fruit before bed. And that was transformational for my sleep during a fast. So, you know, it's optional. I'm not saying people need it, but a lot of people report getting much better sleep with about five to 10 grams of carbohydrates. So again, uh, honey, fruits, something like that right before bed. Have you ever, ever played with that? Uh, not immediately before bed. So I usually stop eating like four or something, five hours before bed. And, uh, uh, I do, but I do eat like carbs for dinner. So like, that's also the reason I think, or I mean, yeah, like the best time in my opinion is to actually eat like carbs for like dinner because you get like this small serotonin increase that helps you to, you know, fall asleep and makes you sleepier and more tired a little bit. Um, and, and, you know, the, like one of the reasons why the carbs also work is by shuttling tryptophan into the brain. So like tryptophan is the precursor to serotonin and you get tryptophan from like you know protein sources but if you have like other of these long chain uh amino acids or just any, any like bcas and all those things uh, from like regular meat or something you're gonna get all the amino acids there not just tryptophan uh, so the other amino acids are actually blocking tryptophan's entry into the brain so they're competing with each other like the brain wants to get the tryptophan but the, there's a like competition with the other amino acids and uh, what the carbs do is generally like they shuttle like carbs raise insulin and the insulin like, you know, opens up them other muscle cells and stuff uh, where the, where the amino acids can go into and then the tryptophan can get into the, uh, the brain. So that's, that's one of the reasons why I think many people uh, also notice that adding some carbs back into their like diet, especially if they're coming from keto or like carnivore, I've had like many people talk about uh, like they can't sleep that well on carnivore. And the reason probably has to do with that they're not getting the tryptophan into the brain uh, because there's no like insulin generally. So the yeah, like the carb crash at the right time is definitely like a good good thing for like you know the GABA effects and you know the serotonin effects. Yeah, and calcium is actually a cofactor for tryptophan for converting tryptophan to serotonin. So yeah, it's a great strategy. You know, carbs. I've been keto pretty much for almost going on thirty years now since I'm sixteen. 46 this year. So yeah, I think that carbs um, at the right time is is a great calmer. I mean, it calms you. Uh, mm -hmm. I've certainly noticed that. And I like, I like your strategy around eating it for dinner. So yeah, you know, I think people, even keto people uh, should, should look at that. I know even the carnivore MD has been think, eating a little more fruits and things like that. So mm. do you uh, have, carbs, carbs are, are important. Go ahead. Does the sleep breakthrough have tryptophan or what do you think about supplementing tryptophan? Yeah. So tryptophan, I've tried, we've tried to make, make it work many, many times. We played with it. We played with 5-HTP as well, which would make sense because again, it increased helps with serotonin. Um, and I've talked to a lot of other people. We were never able to make it work in sleep breakthrough. That being said, we have another product coming out uh, called Dream Optimizer, which is which is specifically designed to boost REM, and it has that microdose. It's a spray, has a, a microdose of melatonin, and in that product, um, the 5-HTP, 
and the tryptophan seem to really have a positive impact. So I don't know if it's the doses were too high uh, because again, with the spray, we're really dealing with much smaller doses. It's, it's a very, very small dose, but I've never been able to make tryptophan or 5-HTP work um, in terms of, of bigger doses in a sleep stack. Never been able to. Mm, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't used tryptophan myself, so I don't really know. Um, yeah, I, I guess I don't want like too much serotonin. I'm fine like getting the serotonin from some uh, carbohydrates. I think that's a more suitable for me generally. Um, but um, yeah, like if you if you want to like boost dreams, then you definitely uh, one of the most powerful like supplements for that that I've come across is just reishi. So the reishi mushroom, like <laughs> like that's that's like you know pretty much guaranteed sleeps every night, and uh, it's very crazy because you get some very like interesting dreams, like very vivid dreams, and very like like nonsensical kind of dreams <laughs> a little bit a bit like lucid dreaming or something like that and yeah pretty much you know i've taken it i get it every every time my wife takes it every time she gets um and yeah like all the other people that i've uh, talked with who have taken it they also get it every time so that's so something like ratio ratio also i think it works through the gaba system somehow and that's why they get like a lot of these uh, dreams very vivid uh, dreams yeah, I love reishi. I think reishi is a phenomenal mushroom. Uh, it's in our product called a genius. It's I've taken as much as 30 grams a day and wow. you know, I hyperdosed it for two months and I just felt amazing. I, I think it seems to have also yes, just some some calming effects and just seems to have all kinds of positive impacts on the body and the brain. Uh, I love it. Yeah, California poppy seed is another incredible REM booster. And uh, again, in Dream Optimizer, I mean, you will definitely have more lucid, vivid dreams. Um, I took it last night and yeah, it, it's it's fun. It's interesting. So nice. yeah, it's powerful. Right. Any other things that we can uh, talk about in terms of... Um, I'd say the last thing, like, like again, I, I spent $45,000 on, on sleep and I would say where I wasted the most money has been PEMF devices. There's been some that were kind of promising. Some work some of the time, but in general, there was nothing that became a staple. So again, Earth Pulse, Beamer, Delta Sleeper, a long list of different PMF. And I'm a big fan of PMF devices. I think that they have their place in the biohacking, biological optimization programs. But for sleep, what would tend to happen is they would work sometimes and the other times they were really disruptive. The one that I was the most excited about, and unfortunately was again in the same bucket, was derived from some DARPA research, which is military research. And what they found was they were tracking you know, sleep using EEG. And then when people would hit delta sleep, which is the deep sleep, they would start pulsing delta waves to, to increase the amplitude. And people would learn better. So there was improvements in learning and other things. There was two companies that came out with a headset that used that research. One was Dream, D-R-E-E-M, and the other one was Philips. And again, it, it works some of the time, but the other times it was just like you would, I would wake up feeling wrecked. You know, I would wake up feeling like worn out, like it was almost like probably stimulating my brain or not. I don't know what was happening, but it, it wasn't good. And it was the same thing with Earth Pulse and Beamer and all, all these other ones. Like sometimes it would work and I'd feel really good. And then other times it was like really wrecking my sleep. So mm -hmm. I, I, I really don't recommend that. Uh, P, as far as EMF, which is electromagnetic frequencies, I live in a penthouse and I bought a, a $2,000 silver Faraday cage. That did not have a, a big impact. The thing is with EMF is proximity is the big deal, right? So I have cement walls, cement floors, and it, it is going to block like the grand, grand majority of the intensity of these frequencies. One thing I noticed though, again, I've been using the O-ring since V1 is if I didn't shut down the Bluetooth in the ring, that it would disrupt my sleep. And of course, that's making direct contact on the skin. So I think that EMF um, can impact sleep. And the other thing on EMF, I think some people 
are more sensitive, probably genetic for genetic reasons than others. So I think EMF is something you want to minimize. Don't put a Wi-Fi unit in your bedroom, turn off Bluetooth in your bedroom, like do everything you can. But um, I don't know if it's worth investing in EMF blocking walls and curtains and Faraday cages. I I didn't see a big boost there. Yeah, yeah, like uh, I think I think uh, yeah, some, some genetic differences and probably like you know the your current biology as well. Like if you have like a lot of like iron in your system or something, then or like if you have like these metal amalgams or something, then it can probably be more susceptible. Uh, what about the like grounding mats? Um, like I have a grounding, like a like I don't know sheet or something that goes <laughs> out of out of my window to the ground. Uh, but have you used anything like that? Yeah, yeah. I bought the first grounding mats when they came out. Um, unfortunately, unless you're living in a house that I think you can directly ground to the earth, I don't think they're worth it. So you're so you're okay, right? You're mm. you know directly grounding it. But in my case, um, I don't think so. Let's just quickly talk about dirty electricity, which is a whole other issue, which is not as different than EMF, different than grounding. And I, I bought some devices that would that measure dirty electricity in your home. I mean, in my place, it was off the charts. And there's these devices you can buy that um, will lower it significantly. So I've got that plugged all over and it, I dropped it by 95%. So... I think that's another potential consideration. When all these things, um, do we have hard data that these things are consequential? Not really, but I think it's just good insurance policies. Like, you know, what what am I going to gamble on? That I'm going to spend a few hundred bucks minimizing something that could be problematic or just say, well, maybe it's not and then maybe it is, right? So for me, these things like EMFs and dirty electricity, I'm not overly paranoid about them. But at the same time, if I can just minimize the risk, I'm going to do that, which is what I've done. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like put the phone on airplane mode and uh, like turn off the Wi-Fi if possible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, phones, I mean, obviously uh, managing light is a big deal. The other issue with phones is obviously dopamine. So dopamine is a stimulant, you know. And most phones are are really designed to obviously uh, the apps are designed to to maximize dopamine response. I'd say one thing, couple of tips to prepare your brain for bed in terms of things people can do. One is obviously to meditate. So again, from a brainwave frequency perspective, it's optimal to go from beta, which we're in right now, which you know most people are in for the majority of the day, down to alpha, which is you know eight to twelve hertz which will prime your brain to go to bed and fall asleep and go to theta, which is you know on four to seven Hertz and then Delta, which is, you know, one to four Hertz. So anything that can slow down your brain is a great thing, whether it's meditation, any sort of mindfulness, a hot bath, um, you know, reading spiritual books, like whatever works for you to just kind of really calm your brain an hour before is a great, great thing to do. Um, one thing that, a lot of people have found helpful and this for, for people that cannot stop thinking about things. And, you know, we have people like that in our team, like, like uh, Mr. Newts and he's just an ideation machine. Like, you know, I think Elon Musk also suffers from this. So Elon, if you're listening, here's a pro tip. And this is something I learned from one of my marketing mentors, John Reese, and he called it just brain dumping. And literally you just grab a, a book and a pen and you start writing nonstop until there's nothing left. And it's not, you're not planning, you're not working, you're not trying to, you know, break down and, and create a vision. It's literally, you have a project idea, you write it. You, you're thinking about a resentment, you write it. You're thinking about something you're grateful for, you write it. Like anything and everything that's just coming up, you write it. And what happens is, I'd say between five to 15 minutes, you just run out of ideas. But something happens to the brain where it feels safer when you've captured it on paper. So there seems to be this, this parasympathetic shift that happens when you do this simple exercise. And again, I, I think it's more important for people that just are ideation machines. And one thing, one device that we did not talk about that I've seen really positive impact on sleep, and I use it before sleep, and that's the Nano-V. 
So if you run the Nano V long enough, and there are newer versions stronger, I would say within 60 to 90 minutes, and I have the strongest one, and, and Nano V is a device that sends biosignaling molecules, helps repair DNA and all kinds of things. But related to sleep, if you run it long enough, you will see your HRV improve, your heart rate variability, and you will feel your nervous system shift over. So I've been a fan of using the Nano V um, almost as a primer for sleep. And what's great about the Nano V is you can, you know, have it on and be reading or watching something or doing something, you know, you can basically be using it and doing other things simultaneously. So yeah, big fan of the Nano V for sleep. That's the one device that I would recommend. Gotcha. Nice. Um, yeah, well, I guess we can start wrapping things up as well. Yeah. And I think a lot of like, obviously the many things people have heard about before, like the blue light and uh, the food, et cetera, but many like new things, definitely like the mattress and other cool tricks that they probably didn't know about before. Uh, so yeah, definitely very exciting and ex a great episode we have here. Uh, the sleep breakthrough, like, uh, is that out already right now or where can people yeah go? yeah it's out right now um yeah we released it a few months ago we sold out uh the first batch we just got another batch in so yeah sleepbreakthrough.com you want to share your code because i think people can save 10 percent yeah yeah i don't i don't remember the code exactly <laughs> okay I'll need to, I'll, we'll put the links in the, the show notes yeah i think it's either simland 10 or sim 10 but yeah um yeah those been has been working phenomenally again for almost everyone we do have a 365 day money back guarantee if for any reason it doesn't work we'll gladly give your money back our refund rate in general as a company is around one percent so yeah i mean i think we have the best guarantee in the business and you know the, if the product doesn't work we we want to give people their money back and then we have another product coming out in february which is going to be dream optimizer which is the spray that has, again, 18 micrograms of melatonin. And it, it, it's just, it works incredibly well. So what I do as a system, first of all, every night I take two capsules of magnesium breakthrough. And by the way, we're, we're doing some, some laboratory research to prove that there's incredible synergy when you're combining the mags. And we're already seeing that. And we'll, we'll be publishing that hopefully later this year. Anyways, then sleep breakthrough almost every night. And then some nights, and this is a, a really cool hack, is like last night I was gonna get I knew I was gonna get less sleep because I was waking up to do the show. <laughs> mm. So when I wake up earlier, or let's say I'm getting seven hours or less of sleep, what I do is I use Dream Optimizer and I just feel more refreshed. So if I'm gonna sleep eight or nine hours, I use sleep breakthrough because it'll help me sleep longer and stay asleep. And when I want to sleep less, I use dream optimizer and I feel better. I feel refreshed. So the, the melatonin is a great hack uh, for you know, sleeping less and feeling better again. And it, it definitely increases REM. It definitely increases lucid dreaming, vivid dreaming. And it, it's a great travel device. I mean, one thing we didn't cover is like how to, how to get rid of jet lag almost instantaneously so just to cover that real quick and we'll wrap up is first of all, it starts really on the plane. So let's say you're flying to Europe or you're flying to North America or you're on a long, like eight, 10, 12 hour flight. You need to do the math and figure out when you're going to sleep, where you land. And then ideally you're going to try to fall asleep on the plane at that time. Now, what could be challenging is, you know, maybe you're not tired. Right. And that's, that can be problematic. So that's where, and this has been working wonders because I went to Europe for three weeks last summer and we were using sleep breakthrough and dream optimizer. I mean, I'll use sleep breakthrough dream optimizer. And if I can um, about 50 to hundred milligrams of CBD and I just pass out. Mm. I'm also a big, big fan of using really intense blue light blocking glasses on a plane. I, I think that the true dark, the red ones are probably the best for planes, I mean, they really cover the eyes and they're so uh, good at blocking light that they do a great job. So I definitely wear blue light blocking glasses on a plane or a sleep mask and yeah, sleep breakthrough, dream optimizer, 100 milligrams of CBD, you will pass out. And then when you land, 
I would recommend using melatonin for two nights. But the key thing is in the morning, again, get sunlight in the eyes, big breakfast and work out. If you do that for a couple of days, I'd say you will minimize uh, jet lag. And of course, you can use nootropics or caffeine throughout the day to just feel energized. And usually two days of that and jet lag's gone. So Nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's awesome. Yeah, that's a good hack for sure. Um, but yeah, where can people uh, learn more about you and your work? Yeah, I mean, my work is really Bob Optimizers. This is my my dharma, my life's purpose. Um, I'm ready for another 30, 40 years of uh, bringing, you know, solutions to the world that are going to help people go from sick to superhuman. So you go to buyoptimizers.com. I do have a blog. I haven't posted there in a long time. It's called mattgallant.tv. Um, a couple of, of free books on there that people can learn around productivity and quality of life. And then, yeah, sleepbreakthrough.com. Um, that's the URL and Sim will post the discount code in the show notes. Awesome. Sounds good. Yeah. It was great talking with you and uh, yeah, looking forward to the other, you know, the rest of the amazing supplements that you'll create. Yeah, we've got 35 things in the pipeline. So yeah, we're, we've been doing hardcore R&D now for three years. Uh, we have 20 people full-time in Bosnia. Hmm. We have PhDs in chemistry and biology and biofilms just doing literally where I think we're over a thousand experiments now uh, in the last three years. So yeah, we're really excited to re-release all of our digestive products and all kinds of new things. So yeah, really excited. And, and thank you for, for, you know, I think you're one of the best uh, health educators in the space. Uh, you're always still on the cutting edge. You go deep and you really figure out what, what's really going on biologically and you do a great job uh, communicating it. So yeah, I love your Instagram. Uh, you, you cracked me up as well with all the memes. So thanks for just publishing some great information. Yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> all right, I'll see you around. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you want to support this podcast, then check out our sponsors and leave our review on iTunes or Spotify. My name is Seem. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.